I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We got a fun show today, we're going to be talking worlds, we're going to be talking about the playoffs and what they can tell us about this year's draft, and of course we're going to have the mailbag. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about New York Times Audio, a new iOS app for New York Times news subscribers. It's got our show, plus other great podcasts from The Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and a lot more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at nytimes.com slash audio app. Corey, Chris, how we doing? Doing very well. Uh, you know, we're in, the, we're in the main part of NHL draft season right now. Men's Worlds are going on. Combine's a few weeks away. Got to make really exciting uh, CHL final series going on. And, of course, NHL playoffs. It's a great time for hockey. Yep, as Corey said, things are happening, Max. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's start with the Worlds, Chris, because we're recording this uh, just an hour or two after Team USA finished up their latest game, uh, a win over Austria. And as we talk about kind of the drafted prospects, I think Team USA is really the team to to hone in on here. And and we can start probably with with the player who went number five in last year's draft, Cutter Gauthier. Yeah, you know what? It, 
honestly, the the U.S. they brought a lot of college guys, guys that were on college rosters this year. Um, you know, had a tough time getting uh, current NHLers, and in the end, I think it's actually worked to their benefit. And specifically, guys like Cutter Goche, who you know, he, actually his World Juniors was good. It was it wasn't earth shattering. It was good. This time at this tournament, we're seeing the more mature more prepared and more confident Cutter Goche. He leads the team on shot in shots on goal. He does have two goals in this tournament. He has dictated the pace of his shifts. He has taken pucks to the middle. He has made a lot of plays and that has been very good. He also got moved up to the first power play unit, which, you know, he, both he and Lane Hudson started on the second unit. They moved up to the first unit um, and they want Cutter Goche to be shooting. And that's what he's done so far. He's taken a lot of pucks to the net. So, very good signs for what's to come for him. I think he's going to have a big season at Boston College next year. He's going to have more support, and we're starting to see the little the the, the foundation being laid for a very strong second season next year for him. Um, very encouraging early signs from Cutter Goche. I think he was a guy who, when he went fifth, or even the discussion going into the draft, and we said he can go this high. I think some fans were surprised, and some were like, "Couldn't you know? What about this guy? What about that guy?" But I think you kind of see at this tournament why he was a fifth overall pick and why I think if you read that draft, he's going to go right around that same spot in the draft, I think. I mean, yep. he has all the traits you look for, speed, skill, goal-scoring ability, uh, the size, you know, whether he'll play the middle of the wing, we'll see, you know, competes well enough. Like there's there's a lot there to his game to make you think he's going to have a very long and productive NHL career. Will he be a high echelon scorer? You know, we'll see with time. But I, but I think he is an excellent pro prospect and, and looks like a fifth overall pick here at this tournament. USA hasn't necessarily played the most daunting schedule so far, but I did think it's worth noting, Chris, four games in here, Lane Hudson uh, as one of the younger players at this event, one of the uh, obviously smaller players at any event he's at, uh, already among the the tournament scoring leaders among defensemen, I, I think his plus plus minus number is already like a plus five or something. He had a pretty one today. What have you thought of Lane so far? Yeah, you know it's it's a continuation of what he did this year at Boston University. He's like, hey, you know that we jumped up a level doesn't matter. I'm going to play the same way. David Quinn has been very receptive to letting him be who he is, which I think is the most important thing. You don't want to try to change a player. Lane Hudson's not going to be a shutdown defenseman, but he is going to play confidently every, anytime you put him on the ice, and that's what we've seen so far. Uh, four points through four games, a beautiful goal against Austria that put the game out of reach. Um, and, and just, you know, he also had an assist. And so he's, he's a point per game player at this level. Um, as I mentioned, he got moved to the top power play unit and has been very deadly from there, just in terms of moving pucks and distributing and getting pucks through. He's, you know, he, he's one of the best players at dancing the blue line at getting around guys to make a better lane for a shot. He's been able to do that here. Um, you know, and even though the, the, the world schedule, the U S is definitely in the, in the easier of the two brackets, but they did play Finland in the first game yep. and they, they had a bad first period, not a bad first period, but a, a weak first period. And then an incredible closing 40 minutes. And we got to see Lane Hudson get the responsibility in those late game situations to go out there and, and, and be part of that, that whole group. He's averaging about 16 plus minutes a game. Uh, you know, he's, he's not been on the ice. I don't know if he's been on the ice for many, if any goals against at this point. Um, you know, so th- this is a U.S. team that's really started to hit its stride with the young players playing the most significant role. Um, you know, the thing that I think we'll, we'll continue to watch with Lane Hudson is 
Um, just, you know, when they do play some of those tougher teams, when they play a Sweden who they'll play at the end of the preliminary round, you know, how he handles the different four checks that are thrown at him. Um, they won't have the puck as much, you know, and so he's a guy that needs to have the puck on his stick. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to watch, but the early indication so far is what we've seen throughout Lane Hudson's career, which is that he's dynamic. He has tremendous hands. Um, the one thing David Quinn did say he wants to see him do a little bit more is is, is move the puck a little more uh, quickly just because he doesn't have as much time to hold on to it like he does in college where he can make plays. But here he's actually shown there have been instances where he can extend those plays himself. Um, so I've been very, very encouraged by what he's done. And, you know, I'm never surprised by anything Cole Hudson does anymore because or sorry, Lane, Lane. Hudson does Lane, Lane Hudson. Thank you. Uh, Cole Hudson also good. But Lane is is just a, this. It, it, amazing dynamic talent that we've continued to, uh, you know, he, he just, he doesn't, he defies expectations for other people, but I think this is basically what he's been the whole time I've been seeing since he was 15 years old. I think it's easy to confuse them. I think they kind of look a lot alike in terms, not just their oh, stature, yeah. but, but the way they, their skating strides are very similar. Uh, their skill and their hockey sense are similar. They, I, when I've watched Cole the first time, I thought he was a carbon copy of Lane at times, to be quite honest. And I don't think it's impossible this upcoming World Juniors, you might see both of them on the same team, frankly. Yeah. Like, I think that's a, it's a distinct possibility. Uh, what's interesting with Lane here at the Men's Worlds, I think, is, is it fair to say, Chris, he's getting more responsibility on the Men's Worlds team than he did on the World Junior team? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great point, Corey. He he is. I mean, he's he is, he is put in just about every situation here. Um, you know, he's not on the PK, but he's... He is he is definitely getting the minutes. And I think I think he was close to what, like 14, 14 or so, 13, 14 minutes on the world junior team. He's already at 16 here um, at, per game. So. And he didn't play power play regularly on the world junior team. That was that's he, right. He, they had Luke Hughes and Ryan Ufko primarily as the two as the two uh, defensemen on the power play. And now he's PP one with NHL players. So so, yeah, he and he and Scott Perunovich were the ones that flopped. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's amazing. I did want to add too uh, when, when Chris talks about the schedule. The, the other team they played was Germany, and teams have had a hard time scoring on Germany in this tournament. So I, I do think that maybe is uh, you haven't you haven't played the Swedens or the Canadas yet, but still I think you can put a little stock into into what you've seen from from USA. The other guy I really wanted to ask you guys about is, is Matt Coronado, who obviously a high first round pick for the Flames a couple years back. He he started to kind of make an impact at this tournament. Yeah, he has. And, and, you know, I think that he's he's one of the six guys that have three points. So, you know, there's there's Rocco Grimaldi is the leading scorer. Lane Hudson's number two. And then there are six guys with three points, including Matt Coronado. Um, he's played down the lineup. He hasn't had necessarily the minutes, but his responsibilities are starting to grow a little bit. Um, and, and we're starting to see him get more, you know, he's averaging about, uh, I think it's just over 13 minutes a game. He does have 15 shots on goal, which is the third most on the team behind Goche and Alex Tuck. Um, and what I think with, with Matt Coronado is he's a, he's a decisive shooter. He makes a lot of space for himself. Um, he puts himself in good positions and I think that's just been continued. I mean, the fact that he's averaging as many shots as he is, despite, you know, a, a bit of a lower ice time and cutter Goche actually has a, a fewer minutes at this point on average. Um, but, but Coronado is getting more opportunities. I think he's been part of the second power play at times. 
Um, and so, you know, that's been very encouraging to see as well. It's not, again, not a huge surprise. It's a kind of a continuation of how he's played. Um, you know, and I do want to make mention of Sean Farrell too, who's kind of been in that same situation as Coronado as they so often are having been former USHL and college teammates. Um, but you know, those are the guys that, that they kind of play down the lineup and they've created it. They've, they've managed to give us some legitimate secondary scoring, you know, Farrell had a big goal. Um, the other day, uh, and and you know we've seen a lot of good play between those two players. So to see the guys that have had that chemistry that have continued on and and made made an impact for Team USA, um, it, I think it just proves them right that if you're not going to get the top, you know, if you're not going to get those NHL guys, instead of going after the second tier and and guys that certainly would appreciate the opportunity, you go with those younger players that are having an opportunity at least the upside to make an impact uh, on your team. And we've seen the U S is one of the fastest teams in this tournament based on what I've seen so far. And a lot of that is because they have these young guys like, like Farrell, like Carter Mays, or like, you know, like, like different guys uh, like Coronado that are, that are, and Goche that are pushing the pace against these older players and not showing any intimidation at all. They're very confident. And um, that's been kind of the hallmark of, of the modern young players as they come in ready. And uh, that's what we're seeing with these guys. The story for Team USA really about the drafted guys, but I think one of the, the big storylines of the tournament is about two guys who we expect to go very high in this coming draft. What have you seen so far from Leo Carlson out of Sweden and Adam Fantilli on Team Canada? Yeah, you know, I, I think both of – Leo Carlson was put in a pretty great position by Sweden. Yeah. There's a lot of faith that's been put in him. He's centering Lucas Raymond and Alex Nylander, um, and he does have a goal. He's uh, – you know, there aren't many 18-year-olds that have scored goals for the senior national team. At this tournament, you know, guys that that didn't, Matt Sundin, the Sedin brothers, um, you know, so we've got, you know, their, um, Nick Backstrom is another one. So Leo Carlson already has a leg up on some of those big names. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how, how the dynamic of the team shifts with William Lelander coming over as well, um, where that puts Leo Carlson. But the thing that we've seen from him, the pace is, has been fine. He's been looked good. He's, he's kept up with, you know, two guys that, that are high-end offensive talents. Um, you know, I think that he's getting good minutes and good, you know, they're not shying away from putting him out there. He's not averaging as many minutes as some of the more senior players, but he's still getting good opportunities. Um, as far as Fantilli, his, his usage is different. So, you know, and we knew that would be the case because of, you know, Canada having a lot more current NHL players, um, most, mostly NHL players, it's, you know, Fantilli and, and, and Michael Carconi is, is another guy who played mostly in the AHL this year outside of, you know, regular NHLers. Um, but what we've seen from Fantilli so far, the confidence is still there. He's taking pucks to the middle. He's trying to make plays. Um, you know, Canada did use him in a shootout the other day. He did not score, but he did, you know, the fact that they're putting him in those situations shows how much they appreciate his offensive game. Um, he's done a good job of getting to the net. He hasn't been pushed around at all. And I think that his pace has definitely helped, um, help team Canada, especially on these hybrid ice surfaces and Tampa, they have the hybrid ice surface. And then in uh, the, the Canadians are playing in Riga, um, you know, so that he's, he's using the space that's allowed to him uh, very easily. So I, I think that, you know, these two guys are going to end up with disparate performances in terms of production and maybe overall impact. Um, but if you look at Sweden's roster, it's not, there's a lot, mostly SHL, a lot of SHL guys, as opposed yeah. to, everyday NHLers. Um, and so, you know, the opportunity should exist for Leo Carlson in that situation where it won't as much for Adam Fantilli. So I don't know that we want to necessarily compare them one to one, but obviously 
we wanted to see Leo Carlson in this situation where he's the he's one of the 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 guys that they are going to look to to provide offense, and so far he's he's been able to do that. So um, I think both have played very well. And I think the most interesting thing is that he has looked good while playing the middle. I think yes. that is something. Whether it's him versus Will Smith, even him versus Anfantilli, I think that's something that's going to come up a lot um, in NHL boardrooms. Uh, when it when it comes to the the decisions at the very top of the draft, I thought that's looked very natural when I've watched him. I think he looks really comfortable there. He seems to be supporting really well and kind of in the right spot. Maybe more than I would have even expected for a guy who played on the wing most of the year. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday, and I thought at least in that game against Sweden, I thought David Reinbacher looked yeah uh, really good right up until he got thrown outside of the rink by a hit. Um, yeah, but, I don't know if he's come uh, down yet, actually. Yeah, no. Uh, so for those who didn't see, he got hip checked by Rasmus Sandin and he, he went flying and he got injured. I think there's a hope that he could play again in this tournament, but, but who knows? Yeah, uh, he's missed two, missed two games so far. Yeah, we're just hoping it's not a serious injury. Yeah, and that's I'm glad you brought him up, too, because I thought that he he didn't look at all out of place. You know, I mean, he, he definitely was given a, a plenty of opportunity um, I think that Austria has been a little, they, they were a little, you know, they, they were using him. He wasn't a top, t- you know, a, a top guy for them, but he was an important player. And yeah, to see the, the, the reason that he got hip checked too, is that he was actually taking a puck to the middle and get almost split the defenseman. I mean, he almost made it, but then he gets hip checked and his knee goes out. He, he went flying. He lands hard on, I think the same knee that got hit, um, uh, by Sandine. So it was just kind of a, a, a bad thing. But the good news is, is that by all reports, it doesn't sound like there's structural damage. There isn't so, like they, they took them for imaging and all this other stuff. And, it, and, and at least based on what they've made public, it doesn't seem like it's that serious. And there is an expectation. They hope that he'll come back. Not I shouldn't say an expectation. There is a hope that he'll come back, as Corey said. Um, and, you know, if he does, I mean, I think that that's 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 good news for Austria, because this is a team that's trying to stay out of relegation as well. Um, and it's been a tough go for him so far. All right. Good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk about the playoffs and what it means for the NHL draft. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, let's get back to it. Uh, Corey, you had a really good article come out this week that I thought was a, a really smart angle to take to, to make the playoffs about the draft. And, uh, you know, certainly on this show, we appreciate that. So uh, we, we kind of get into talking about what, what kind of players work in the playoffs uh, for teams. And especially when you're talking about drafting, you hear guys you can win with. And you basically tried to make that into a um, 
kind of a statistical question where, where you kind of went through and rated the the core players on every playoff team um, on a few different categories. Their skating, their puck play, which was kind of skill and hockey sense, and their compete along with, I think you you did study their size for these average kind of, basically it's your, your top six forwards plus your third line center and your top four D. And you kind of drew some conclusions based on that. And I'll kind of let you from here take off. What were kind of your big conclusions that you were able to draw? Right. I, I just, I, you know, I always watch the NHL playoffs, but I decided this year I wanted to watch it with more of an analytical lens towards, you know, just kind of grading the tools on, on the important players. And even on the non, even on the players who didn't play as many minutes, one thing that I thought was really striking when you're going through the entire roster is how few players on these teams have mediocre to subpar compete levels. You know, there, there's really, it's hard to find guys this time of year especially the guys who make it through to the end who don't work hard. Uh, and doesn't mean they have to have high-end compete. doesn't mean they have to be guys like, say, Matthew Kachuk, who are, who are just absolute um, you know, warriors or guys who will be extremely physical or or get really chirpy uh, with, with the opponents. But it's uh, you don't find a lot of guys who struggle in that area, who disappear, who don't give good efforts. Um, and... I kind of think, you know, those guys tend to lose early on. Um, you know, for example, you know, in, uh, in, I think it was in game five between Florida and Toronto, uh, William Nylander scored that, you know, that really impressive goal, uh, coming down with, I think it was the second Toronto goal, I believe, where he kind of got the puck with full speed, comes down, beats Bobrovsky short side. But on, I believe it was the second Panthers goal. He kind of stood there in the in the neutral zone while three Panthers flew by him and led to the three on two, uh, and that led to a goal. Like guys who play like that, at least based on what the final four look like right now, when you look at their core players. That kind of people who give that kind of effort at times don't tend to exist on those rosters. And, and there's certainly you point this out in the article. You know. Certainly some conclusions here can change drastically depending on who these teams are. Like if Seattle wins that game seven, there was a stat that you're like, all of a sudden you get four of this certain kind of player. But though, I think those guys were all still good compete guys, right? It was yeah, just they just little, would have yeah. been a smaller team. Yeah. You would have seen Oliver Bjorkstrand, Eli Tolvin, and Yanni Gord, Vince Dunn, Jordan Eberle. Just the, 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 the size numbers would have changed. I mean, maybe Tolvanen's compete isn't the best in the world. But, but the other guys, I think, all compete fine. And, you know, like – Tampa had some smaller guys play bigger roles like Kucherov and Kale McCarr wasn't the biggest guy in the world either. Uh, I think there are, you talk about those guys though, there are certain exceptional degrees of offense and, and with McCarr skating as well that I think lets them be the outliers. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't mean to say that these four teams, Carolina, Dallas, uh, Florida and Vegas are the template. But it's interesting just to, to study their rosters and see if there are trends. And the trends to me were, uh, you know, everybody in their core can make plays. Everybody in their core competed well. And they, on average, tended to be bigger than the typical NHL player. So let's go from there then and, and talk about a few of the guys who maybe, I don't want to say like don't fit it outright, but maybe would be more toward the outlier end of things who are in this year's draft who, who we're going to talk about. I think if we start on the wing, it's it's natural to talk about 
some of these smaller wingers, Gabe Perot and Zach Benson, I think maybe the two most interesting case studies as, as smaller guys without elite skating. Right. And uh, in the recent NHL draft rankings I've done, the last two, I believe I've used Jonathan Marchessault yep. as my comparison for Zach Benson. And it was the night that Marchessault scored that hat trick against Edmonton. I got a text from an NHL executive. He said, well, if he's Marchessault, that seems, that seems pretty good. You know, I'll, I'll take that. Um, and, but, and it's a fair point. You know, Marcia So is a really good hockey player. And I think Benson's a really good hockey player. You know, they are. And I think there's some rhymes there with the size that they're fine skaters, more elusive than fast, but both are very skilled, very competitive. You watch Marcia So in the playoffs for Vegas and he wins a lot of battles and is able to create a, ro- a lot around the net despite, you know, being a smaller guy. Um, Marcia So also went undrafted. Uh, and, I think there were some risk variables and why that happened. Uh, so I think it, it will be really interesting to see where Benson ultimately gets picked um, and where his career goes from there. I, I, I We've talked about should he be top 10, should he not, where will he really go? I'm guessing it'll be a little round 10, maybe a little bit after is kind of where he'll land. Uh, but like I said, there's, there is a comp for him in the playoffs. Whereas with a guy like Gabe Perot, who I frankly have rated ahead of Benson as a player, just on my personal list, he is ahead of Benson on my list. But yet I watch these playoffs and I don't really see somebody in the playoffs who looks like Gabe Perot. We can think of guys in the NHL who look like him, really good players in the NHL actually, who look like him. But there aren't really a whole lot of 5'11", below average skating wings um, who don't have like extremely good compete levels. And I think, you know, when you talk about Benson, I watched his last uh, playoff game this morning, actually, and, and you completely see it. He's, you know, I'm not saying he's Jonathan March, so, you know, pulling the hat trick in that game, but uh, I think he did have a couple goals and he's in the fight for sure. He's in a lot of those battles. So I think you definitely see that rhyme there. And and the question is, like, how much with Perot, the, the bet is on, okay, can you, if you're a team that has him, uh, are you going to have enough around him that what he does can work really well, that he doesn't have to be that guy who's necessarily winning those puck battles for you. Other other guys can be kind of doing that job and let him do what he does well. Right, and that's kind of what Kucherov was with Tampa. I think Kucherov is a better skater, and I think he works harder. Not to say that Gabe doesn't have good compete, but I think Kucherov is a, a real competitor. Like He, he may mean. not be the biggest. Yes, yes. No, he is. He is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a prick out there sometimes. Like, you yeah. know, and, you know, and that's just, I haven't seen that. For, I think Gabe competes well. I just haven't seen that in his game. Yeah. yeah. And, and Corey, this is, this is interesting, you know, cause you do have Gabe ahead of, of Benson and I have Benson ahead of Perot for the, for the, and I think the, the compete and the ability to play off the puck is probably the biggest separator for me between the two. I think that there is absolutely a case that Gabe Perot is the better offensive talent and, and has a higher level of hockey sense, which is why this is a tough, it's still a tough debate. But I mean, as you've watched these playoffs and as you've seen that, and as you've seen that from Benson, does that, has that shifted at all for you in terms of your overall projection? And, and has it caused you to maybe second guess that potential, that opinion of, of having the Perot ahead of, of Benson? I think if Benson hits, the way he plays lends itself to more playoff success. But I do still have concerns of the athletic tools, which is the frame and the size, and that I don't think his offensive sense and skill are as off the charts as Perot. 
I do worry that there is more of a miss factor to this guy than I think a lot of people writing about him are giving it credit for. I think there is an, a significant chance he's just doesn't hit and just as like a in and out of the lineup player or like a third line winger. That's not what I project him as. Like I said I project him as Jonathan Marshall. So, but I think there is there's a, there's there's enough risk variables in there that I still lean towards Perot, but it's it makes me think about it. And I've I've there are people in the league who like adore Perot, and there are people in the league who again look at what succeeds in the spring and are like yeah, like that's uh, that doesn't exist. And it's why Cole Perfetti went ten. It's why Marco Rossi got to nine. Uh, it's why Cole Caulfield got to fifteen. Like these are all like, these are rhymes there. And whether you agree or disagree, Cole Caulfield did go to a Stanley Cup final. Like it, it's. These are just the discussions that are going to be had uh, as we approach the draft. You could have a conversation about Philip Zadina there, a guy who who didn't drop that far to six, but I think you could have a, an argument about you know how he fits into that conversation. Oliver Wallstrom went yep. lower than people thought too. Now he had compete issues that I and same thing with Zadina. So I don't think we were talking about that with these guys, but but it's the same idea. Yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting when you got to the centers, you know. Perhaps unsurprisingly, you kind of make the point they get a little faster, a little bigger, and the requirements for just how much puck skill they have seems to kind of go down. Um, the player that you honed in on here in, in this class to examine there is Braden Yeager. I also would be interested to hear, though, what you think about Oliver Moore, because it w- if one of the takeaways here is that, you know, the, the skating in general doesn't tend to be as much of a... Um, you know, the skating grades across the board aren't as high as the compete in the puck skill game. And we're talking about Oliver Moore, a guy who's the best skater in the draft. It's by far his best trait. I'd be curious how you how you think he fits into kind of the takeaways here. Yeah, I mean, but I think the skating is more important for centers than it is for wings. So if he yeah. is going to be, if he, if he is going to succeed and succeed as a center in the NHL, I think it's because he's such an exceptional skater that you're hoping he has a, you know, a John Gabriel Peugeot path, a Tim Stutzla light have like that's I think what that's what I think the dream is all over more um but if he misses it's because he's a 511 guy who is not really all that high end offensively although I do think he has good skill he has he has offense in his game and there are people that like I think there's really divided opinions on him in the league there are people who believe that he could be that first group he could be this really impactful top six forward who can drive play down the middle and there are some who are like are we just drafting like a, a middle six wing here or like a third line center or you know somebody who's just not going to be a core part of our team because 511 guys who don't score at high rates don't tend to play prominent roles on nhl teams um but yet you don't really see a lot of guys who look like him right now in the playoffs but you probably could have it other years yeah how about for jaeger because i think he's he's kind of more uh what you're getting at here in terms yeah. of the undersized centerman like is he even a center basically yeah, and that's been a pushback I've had with people throughout the season talking about Jaeger is like, man, not even in the playoff team. If you just look around the league in general, there are very few 5'11 centers in the league. Uh, and those who are, they tend to be exceptional in certain, in certain areas. And there are people who believe he could be the next. They think he is exceptional. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people in the league who think there's a pretty good chance he has to get moved to the wing at some point because he's a good, not great skater. It's not tremendous offense. He competes hard, but he's not like this, you know, this high, high, high end competitor on a consistent basis. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting part with Jaeger going forward is, is where does he ultimately fit uh, on an NHL lineup? 
And I would go 50-50, depending on whether he's a center or a wing. But it's fair to say that none of the top three-line centers in the playoffs currently, or in most years, look like him. You know, and like the five eleven center sometimes who do look like who do play are like guys like Jack Hughes, who are just so dynamic that uh, they and they just put him there because that's where he's comfortable. Or guys like Brandon Point, who have exceptional speed and compete and skill, and kind of you know are the outlier. I, I just would feel hesitant saying Jaeger is going to be the next outlier. I think the defenseman section of this article is really the one that maybe the least surprising. I think we all know what we think of when we think of playoff defense, but I'm going to just pull a couple lines from the article here. The average top four defenseman on the remaining teams is close to six foot three. And based on some research that James Myrtle did a couple years back, nearly an inch taller on average than the league's uh, defenseman on the whole. Uh, you said Carolina and Vegas ones, especially are a bunch of giants who either skate well, play hard or both as well as being able to move pucks. When we talk about guys like Axel Sandin, Pelika, Mikhail Gulyayev, these are guys who I think we've talked about in the top 20 for the whole year. What does that make you think with these two? Are they the exception or does this give you, you know, pause? Yeah, I mean, I also published an article uh, this week looking back at the 2018 NHL draft. And it's interesting looking at all those small defensemen that went high in the draft. Adam Bokefist, uh, Ty Smith, uh, Nicholas Baudin, Niels Lundqvist, uh you know, there's uh, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, Rasmus Sandin, uh, Ryan Merkley, like a lot of guys who they, you just don't find those guys typically playing massive roles on teams that have gone deep into the playoffs. There are, and sometimes they do. Like Adam Fox was that guy for the Rangers when they when they, when when they've won playoff rounds. Like, I mean, it's not an impossible thing to do. Kale McCarr again, small defenseman gets it done, but. They tend to be, I think, exceptional. So I think if you're taking Axel Sandin Pelica high, if you're taking Mikhail Gulyayev high, uh, you're hoping they are the next exceptional offensive defenseman. I don't think, I don't think NHL coaches will play five ten, five eleven defensemen who are good offensively or good skaters, but not high end in certain areas. You're going to have people who say, okay, well, then what about Lucas Dragasevic, who is much taller and does have outstanding offense? The question, I imagine, your response is going to be something to the effect of, does he skate well and does he compete? Right. I mean, I was going to say he exists in the playoffs if Edmonton had won their series because he looks a lot like Evan Bouchard with the sub with the subpar skating stride and you kind of cringe defensively a little when he's out there, but he's got great hockey sense and he makes plays and he can shoot the puck well, but they didn't make it. And some people would say that's partly because they got to play Bouchard so much. It's not, not the only reason, but you would, you'll find people in the league who won't exactly I- ignore that as part of, you know, just their blue line in general. You know, even though they added Ekholm, you know, it's, it's not an incredible blue line. Whereas you look at the blue lines of, say, Carolina and Vegas, and those are really good blue lines. I mean, Carolina's uh, Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, who I think you know, maybe got a little bit under the radar, scored 18 goals this season. And uh, Brent Burns, those that's an exceptional blue line right there. Uh, and I, I think, obviously, they're the best of the four, but I think in general, the blue lines across the league have uh, a lot of, at least two or three really, really good defensemen in their top four. And I found that was a, definitely a trend across the league as those blue lines were all big, mobile, competitive and could move pucks. 
Well, let's let's tie that back in, I guess, to what we were just talking about the last segment with Lane Hudson, who certainly would not be uh, a a big, you know, I, I think he competes, but not like a crazy compete uh, and, and very small defenseman there. How does he fit into this for you? Because he's a guy who fell to the third round, and I think in a redraft, he's going way, way higher. He would go higher, I think, in a redraft, but it's interesting when you talk to people around the league about Hudson uh, and the six absolute, you know, incredible year he had with BU this year and now the success he's having at the men's worlds. And you ask them, like, are you a believer now? Do you believe he's going to be a tough four defenseman? Do you believe this is a guy you can win with? And I'm hearing more yeses than no's than I did this time last year. Mm-hmm. But it's not universal yeses. There are still quite a few people in the league I talk to who are still saying, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see if this actually works. And this is actually a guy who can play big NHL minutes. And this is a guy who can actually survive in the NHL playoffs. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard some even have severe reservations. He's a guy you can win with in the NHL playoffs. But, but he's, you know, he, he looks like a special player. His sense, his skill, uh, the way he makes plays. Uh, it's a good skater. Like you know, he could be an outlier. I don't. I I'm kind of on the fence with him. Some days I think he could be. Some days I think he won't. But I but I see the arguments for it. And like I said, you don't want to make generalized rules about this stuff because it's only four teams we're talking about here. You, you look at another postseason. You know, like we said, with different roster composition, whether it's Colorado's rosters, Tampa's roster, other rosters, and the rules could change slightly. Obviously, Connor Bedard isn't the biggest guy in the world. Right. Nobody is saying you know he's not a guy you can win with. You know he's a, a big game player. He's stepped up often in big in big games and in, in hard situations, playing against much bigger, physically advanced guys, and had a lot of success. Um, and I think you know with those exceptional ones, whether it's him, whether it's Matvey Mitchkov, you're willing to tolerate it. Um, but I definitely don't think you're seeing those kind of guys who are not exceptional. And maybe Lane Hudson could be exceptional. I mean, some days this season he has looked exceptional. At least this past week being one of those times. Uh, I say if you're not exceptional, it's hard to move the needle, whether in the NHL, but especially in the NHL postseason. And that's what you're looking for. Right? That's where that's where exceptional comes from, is that there are these, these trends, but there are guys who are simply so good uh, that they break them. So I think that was a really good article, really well thought out, and you can find that at theathletic.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the mailbag. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
All right, we are back with the mailbag. It's a really good mailbag today. So really good stuff from you guys. A lot of good questions. We're going to start from Bradley R., who says, Montreal is arguably one of the toughest spots in the draft, likely the first team who needs to make a real hard decision on passing on Mitchkoff versus another prospect who's not Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, or Will Smith. What is the best case scenario for Habs fans, Corey? I think the best case scenario is somebody else takes Mitchkoff ahead of them <laughs> and it makes the decision really easy, which is always possible. Like, like you still talk to people in the league who think, you know, he should be in the mix at three. He should be in the mix at four. You know, I, I think, you know, those organizations in Columbus and San Jose, I, I wouldn't bet today they're going to take him. But I think they have to really think about it and be, can have conviction in why they're taking somebody at three or four. It's a very important pick. You got to make sure you get that right. I think he has to be there in that mix. But, but yeah, I don't envy Montreal's position where the, the four high-end guys that we all kind of agree on are gone. And now Mitchkov is there. And you've got to make a really hard decision um, for various reasons. Between the fact that he's a really talented player, there are some flaws in the player, there are the, you know, the contract, the war, etc. And you know, teams in general want to... Uh, avoid those risks if possible very very high in the draft you're hoping to get a really good player who will be part of your organization for a long time when you're picking fifth overall and i understand those concerns uh but you know i would personally do it but i understand why some wouldn't uh but yeah the best case scenario is just like sharks take Mitchkov and it makes your decision real easy Montreal also had the, had a tough break when when Florida made the conference final because it bumped the pick they got in the Ben Chirot deal from 17 to at the earliest 29, I think, could get later. So lost at least 12 spots of ground there. That is a tough break. Uh, Chris, Scott M. wants to know, how does Adam Fantilli compare to Jack Eichel in his draft year? Oh, that's an, that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, in terms of production and, and certainly getting the Hobie Baker, that's a pretty easy comparable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the thing about uh, Jack Eichel is, you know, I look back at that Boston University team that he led to the national championship game. And I think that there was, you know, it was a good team, but there was certainly less talent. They had had really struggled the year before. Um, you know, they they didn't have uh, like amazing goaltending, but they they really had, you know, a pretty uh, a solid team. But I think that that to me, Jack Eichel had a heavier lift in terms of um, carrying a team. Because Michigan had so much more talent around Fantilli, he had you know uh, a first round draft pick in Rucker McGrady and a guy who you know is 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 an early you know late first early second pick in Gavin Brindley, um, you know a guy like that that could could support him. Uh, but in terms of you know production, he actually outproduced Eichel on a points per game basis, and you know still led Michigan to uh, a Frozen Four um, and 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 deep into the uh, deep into the the postseason. So. You know, a lot of similarities there, you know, similar size. You know, I think that Eichel's skating stride is much different, but he was a very good skater. Um, you know, I think that Jack Eichel has a has a higher level of of, of hockey sense in, in general. Um, and I thought that was true then. Uh, but but I think the 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 compete and the nastiness that that Fantilli brings or, you know, rel- at the same age, not just you know, as I think we've seen in the playoffs, Jack Eichel can compete just fine. But. I think in this in in this year we're seeing a little bit more of that high motor physicality, a little more versatility in that way. Um, so yeah, but I mean I think that they, it's it the rhymes to this season 
and the McDavid Eichel year, you know, with, we've got this incredible Canadian talent in the CHL. We've got this incredible, you know, this time it's a Canadian in the, in the NCAA, you know, the two divergent paths. Um, but it, you know, a lot of, a lot of similarities and reminders there of, Hey, even, even to the point where at the beginning of the season, we were talking about how these guys were maybe not that far apart. You know, we, we even had that discussion with McDavid and Eichel at the, at the early, early, early stages of that season. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously Connor pulled away in both cases. So, uh, but, but I think you're looking at a, a, you know, a similar, I I think Eichel in general was the better prospect at the time, uh, just by a hair. Uh, but I, but I think that, uh, Fantilli is, you know, he's not far off and, and has a lot of the good qualities that make up for any, anything that he didn't do as well compared to Eichel. We're through eight years uh, since that draft. No McDavid, Stanley Cup. Eichel still has a shot at one, albeit on his second team. Do you think it takes eight years for Bedard or Fantilli to get one? Ooh, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, well, yeah. Let's look at those. Let's look at those two teams. I think Chicago's a, a, a mi- miles and miles away, um, and, and I think that Anaheim is probably closer. But there's still a lot of work that they're going to have to do long term. So. Um, yeah, but I mean, I I don't I don't know that it'll necessarily be eight years, but uh, but yeah, I don't think it's gonna be. It's not gonna be two. <laughs> it's not gonna be two. It's not gonna be three. You know, I I think that yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Corey Mike O says the Leafs keep trying to import leadership and toughness, but still fall short. Has that strategy ever succeeded, or must those traits be developed internally? I think you can get externally. I think you saw Florida just do that right now, where they brought in. Matthew Kachuk, who's I think is one of the uh, the best competitors in the NHL. What I think was I think interesting in the discussion around Toronto's uh, trade deadline strategy and the way they built their roster is I thought there was a lot of praise given in for bringing guys who I thought were frankly periphery pieces. And even the big trade, which is Ryan O'Reilly, he wasn't having an amazing season. This was not always the Ryan O'Reilly we, we saw from five six years ago, who was Stanley Cup winning version of O'Reilly. So I think that is, you know, when we were when I was doing the article on what season the playoffs day and the core players, you're really looking at the core. I was doing because Toronto made a second round, so I was I started looking at all the second round teams uh, in preparation for that article, and you just looked at those core players and, you know, Marner, uh, Matthews, uh, Nylander, Tavares. You know, I think Tavares competes well. I think Marner competes well, uh, but I think you look, you know, Riley competes fine. But but I think you looked at those core core players and the other maybe top four defensemen, and you looked around that and you said there there needs that the very best players maybe need to be have more of those elements if they were going to be more analogous to say what Carolina, Dallas, Florida, Vegas' teams currently look like. Again, that doesn't mean those are the only models. But I, what I noticed is it's not about Sam Lafferty and Nola Chari and, and Luke Shen. Those core players need to have those elements. Also, Vegas, another team that kind of uh, went out and got it from from outside Mark Stahl and Petrangelo. But the different, another difference there is those teams are doing this, uh, like you said, in the off season. They're getting a full year with it. You're not trying to go out and rent it on six weeks' notice. That'd probably be another big distinction. Yep, true. All right, uh, Dylan M. Uh, is Reinbacher the consensus number one D, or was Sandine Pelica good enough at the U18s to challenge that? Chris, you got a thought here? Um, I mean, I think among NHL, you know, I, I, I still feel like Reinbacher is, is, you know, the guy, you know, certainly I think in the public realm, it's, it's changed a, a little, you know, there's, there's, there's more argument and debate. Um, you know, I, Craig Button from TSN just put out his list and had, you know, Sandy and Pelica five on his, on his list, you know, that's, 
that's a little bit outside of of you know what I think is probably probable among NHL teams. Um, but you know, I, I I think a lot of teams were were hoping to see a little more of Reinbacher here at this World Championship, and the injury is unfortunate. But you know, they've watched him throughout the year and and have seen what he can do. I think the 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 key factors is a lot of stuff that we've talked about already when you talk about the risk factor. And Corey mentioned, you know, when we're looking at undersized defensemen, you know, is Axel Sandin Pelica dynamic enough to be a guy that that could be a number one, you know, a top pairing defenseman? It's it's really hard to project that at this point. But I do think that, you know, Reinbacher with his size, the right shot, he's got good mobility. Um, you know, he defends at a, at a decent enough level. He's got, you know, a, a lot of the traits that we, we've talked about as being important. You know, I think that there's, there's a growing uh, consensus that he's he's the top guy. Now the interesting fact thing is going to be you know who goes between Reinbacher, uh, you know, and then is it is Sandine Pelica even the next defenseman selected? It's not not a hundred percent going that way. Um, you know, I is think he even, it, is he for sure even the first Swedish defenseman selected? It, exactly, that's exactly where I was going with it. I mean, the, we've been talking about Tom Vlander for weeks now about his growth and and his his performance at the under 18 worlds and he's not a huge guy but he's bigger than axel sandy pelica is and he has a little bit more you know his skating is outstanding he's a really good defender there's a lot of things there that teams are looking for and like so um you know i think to me and and Corey, i mean i think you heard the same as you know i think right you know if we're looking at these two guys um if we're just looking at sandy pelica and reinbacher i think that there's a a a a significant portion of the scouting community that would go towards Reinbacher over Sandy and Pelica. Yep. I think that's right. All right. Uh, next one is from Zach D Corey. This one's for you. You have Nate Danielson rated sixth on your big board where other, where other people have him in the mid teens. What do you see that others aren't? And should he have his name in the six to 10 range discussion more? Well, I'm just right. Everybody else is wrong. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's uh, not, that's not a good answer. Uh, when I've watched Danielson and now watching him for years and, uh, you know, I see a guy who checks a lot of boxes. He skates very well. Uh, I think he gives a good two way effort. Uh, you know, he has good size in the middle. Those are things that are all, I think are all obvious to people who watch him. I think the debate comes down to the offense. I think people see a late birth date, late 04, who was over a point per game this year, but it was an exceptional number, especially when you compare him to other Western League draft eligibles, Riley Height, uh, Andrew Cristal, Zach Benson. Uh, similar numbers to Brian Yeager, but but still not exceptional numbers regardless. Never mind Connor Bedard in that league. And they say, well, maybe he just doesn't have a lot of offenses. As an older guy, he doesn't, doesn't really score a lot. But when I've watched his games uh, this season and prior years, I see a guy with high-end skill. I see a guy who creates a ton of scoring chances. Every time I watch his games, uh, I see, you know, he could, and I, I don't like it when people make teammate excuses because I feel like that sometimes just uh, tr- trying to maybe for, uh, force it essentially. And uh, I think good players tend to score no matter who's around them. But I mean, he did not really have great linemates he was played with. And I think it's interesting to contrast it with the other Brandon teams he's played on both the previous season and the, even the one before that were previous season. when you know, got one guys like say Ridley Gregg were there, Vincent Iorio were there or others, you know, he was over a point per game, even the, the season prior in the COVID bubble, I think he had something like 15 points in 25 games. So that was two seasons prior. And like I said, so based on, that, what I've seen, I think he checks the offense box. Not exceptional offense, but I think it will be good NHL offense. 
that I think this guy could be a really good top two line centerman. Uh, I'm aware that I'm higher on him than most people. I'm higher on him than most scouts I talk to. Be, not all scouts. There are some who, who have him top 10 that I've talked to. Um, and, and, and we'll see whether I'm right or wrong. Uh, Philip R says he was at the U18 Worlds at the USA Switzerland game, and right behind him there were a lot of scouts and GMs from NHL teams. He says, I assume one of the guys they wanted to see was Trey Augustine, but in that game, one of the main differences between the teams was shot quality and shot selection. Swiss basically threw stuff blindly on net, usually right in the middle of the net. He wants to know, how do you assess the play of a goalie in a game like that? Chris? Um, <laughs> There are definitely some games where you just toss it. Uh, honestly, I mean, you know, like it's like, hey, the shots are all coming from the outside. He was able to see everything. He made the saves. I mean, I think that you always want to look at at different things with a goaltender. There's so many different things that you evaluate from skating, hockey sense. You know, uh, the thing about Trey Augustine in particular is that no matter who the opponent, he is always dialed in. Like that guy is always dialed in. You want him. You want to see that. Is he bored out there? Is he? Is he? Is he still competing? Is he still battling? Does he have to battle? You know, those different things are are still um, a factor. So I think in games like that, yeah, the shot quality is certainly not going to be as high. Um, you know, we've seen plenty of instances with Trey Augustine, you know, World Juniors, other things like that, where shot quality was really high, and there were games where he had, you know, great games and games where he didn't. Um, so you know, I think with goaltenders, you just really can't focus too much on a single game situation. I mean, really. You know the great thing about all the all the stats and the, the 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 software and everything that's available is you could watch every shot against if you wanted to, um and and just kind of go through that and you you know you start to pick up a lot of different things. I mean I think that you know video scouting has always been a part of of goaltending evaluations and they're they're probably one of the easiest positions to evaluate off of video. Um, it depends on who you ask. I mean also too you know you can change the position of where you're sitting in the arena. More teams now have invested significantly in goalie development. We just saw the Los Angeles Kings restructure their goaltending department to have Bill Ranford as as kind of the director of goaltending. And then they're going to have Matt Miller uh, being uh, like their goalie scout. You know, I think that teams like Tampa and Detroit and others have have people in those positions where that's their whole job. And I think it's a great investment. Um, It's something that's important to have because – it is such a difficult position to evaluate and, you know, the guys that do it well are, you know, definitely making big time decisions for their teams. And they're not just drafting those players. They're helping set the development path for that goalie. They're helping make all these other decisions. So, um, but yeah, but I mean, I think it's a good question. And, and the answer to it is, you know, the, the short answer is simply, you know, never evaluate a goalie off of a, a single performance. And then there are definitely games where, Hey, that guy saw 15 shots. All of them were from, above the dots and way out, you know, and yeah, he tracked them. He made saves. That's great. You know, but you're not, you're not necessarily going to be looking at that game as one of the ones that you're going to file away. Um, you'll write your report, but you won't file it away as, as a significant moment in, uh, in the scouting evaluation. The good news for those scouts is uh, they had plenty of other stuff to watch for TVSA. <laughs> <think> uh, so. <laughs> old friend of the podcast, Avco Cup, one of our most frequent question askers, Corey, wants to know which overagers passed over in previous drafts are most likely to hear their name called this time around. We get this question a lot, and often we just don't even answer it because I don't not ready to answer that question yet. Those are guys who are more, more you know into the weeds. Uh, but I'm two weeks away here from from our first iteration of the long list that'll that'll come out, so I have a little bit better feel on this stuff. So a couple of names to keep an eye on. 
Uh, Milton Osterson, center with Alribro, played with Eel Carlson, was, was played for Sweden at the World Junior, was on their power play, six foot six center with a little bit of offense, although really heavy feet. Another sweet, Hannes Helberg. He was one of the leading scorers in the J20 uh, this season as a second year eligible. Got to keep, keep an eye on. Personal favorite of mine uh, plays with the P- Peterborough Peets, Samuel Maye, big mobile defenseman playing big minutes for them right now. I think him and the other defenseman on that team, Connor Smith, could be drafted. He is a first year eligible, though, Smith. Um, uh, Gabriel Stutz, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but the, yeah. the little guy who plays in Kelowna had a great World Juniors there for Czechia. I think he's a guy who can get drafted. A guy in the AJ who had a big World Junior A and a great year in, in Brooks, Hudson Malinowski, uh, who's going to Providence, is a guy I've heard some some buzz on. I'm not sure if he will for sure get drafted, but there's an option out there. Uh, another Swede that I have some time for is Rasmus Larsson, 6'3", mobile defenseman. Second year eligible, not sure on the offense there, uh, but but that's a guy I think gets buzz in the USA. I think uh, Max Lundgren, the goaltender in Des Moines, who's six foot five, could get drafted. Uh, Michael Emerson in Chicago, mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident will get drafted. Uh, Youngstown, Chris, you think Andon Serbone could get drafted? Uh, there's a good chance. I mean, he's had a really really strong season and a really good postseason. Um, yeah, I think I think so for sure. Yeah. I've heard Igor Sidorov in Saskatoon will likely get drafted. He was one of the leading scorers and goal scorers in the Western Hockey League. Um, so there's a couple more that I'm skimming over there, but that's a good place to start for people. The one thing that I would say, too, about these second-year eligible or third-year eligible guys that are going to be looked at, um, and a lot of teams are looking at them more frequently. I think that a lot of teams are, are looking and, and even strategizing about you know who are the guys that we could see you know, are trending towards those free agency contracts. What have they done? And, and, and like Corey mentioned, one of my personal favorites as a re-entry Stewart's, uh, you know, I think that he had a great season and, and there was a lot like, I, I mean, central scouting almost did like, he was like t- almost towards the very bottom of their, of their uh, most, their, their final rankings. Um, but I think that that's a guy that's going to go, um, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot there, but, but a lot of these guys in the USHL that are on the college path too, guys like Emerson, um, you know, there, there could be other guys that go really, really late guys. Um, that like Eric, I think, I, th- I think Palatichuk could get drafted from yeah, Fargo. Yeah. Joe Palatichuk for sure as a, is one of them. Um, there's uh maybe a little less likely, but certainly a possibility. Eric Polkamp, uh, from, uh, Aaron, from Cedar Aaron, Rapids. Aaron Pionk. Yeah. Aaron Pionk had a very good season with Waterloo this year. Also drove the Zamboni a little bit for uh young arena because he had <laughs> yeah, some extra time. Uh, I think Ryan, I think Ryan Walsh could get drafted. Yep. Cedar Rapids. Yep. So there's, yeah. yeah. And guy, Zach wisdom is another one too. He's, he's, a, yep. he's, he, he's a guy that has size competes. Um, you know, his, his brother Zade uh, is in the Philadelphia flyer system. He's going to Colorado college next year. Colorado college actually is going to be an interesting place to watch, not just for guys that are getting drafted, but, um, you know, dr- dr- uh, future free agents. Like if a guy like Zach Wisdom doesn't get drafted, I think he's going to be on the the free agent w- radar for for a while because he's got some. He's got a little bit of size to him. He's got a great compete level. Got some speed. Um, you know those different things. But I think guys that are going on that college path where you know you have a long development timeline with them, they're a little bit more likely. Um, some of the Europeans as well. It's a little harder to make those decisions because the uh, on the CHL players because you have to move them in. Uh, Corey, what do you think? 
we, we just saw recently that he's going to re-enter the draft. Ben Gaudreau, do you think that anybody will take a chance on him in the second go-around here? Former Sharks draft pick? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I'm, I I think it's that's the thing is I am not, I'm not a hundred percent positive. And this is a guy that won a gold medal with the under 18 worlds uh, with Canada and what was second round draft pick. Uh, so third round, third round. Yeah. Third but, round. yeah, yeah so but I, yeah, I, I mean like that's, I, I, I would struggle to do it. Yeah. I, I I'm with you on that, but it's just, that was an interesting name. Cause you'll also see those guys that are re-entries guys that did get drafted. Um, it's pretty uncommon for those guys to get selected again. Um, unless they, you know, or going in because they didn't want to sign or something like that. All right. Next one is for Chris. It's from Dane outside of the big five, which I think we're talking about uh, Bedard, Fantilli, Michkov, Carlson, and Smith. What other players do you think are safely in the top 10, Chris? Safely in the top 10. Oh man. Um, you know, I think, I think Ryan Leonard is safely in the top 10. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there's, that's the thing is the interesting part about this, this, you know, this, going down. Um, you know, I think Reinbacher is, is, is now in that conversation more, more significantly. Um, but then you start getting the guys like Dvorsky and guys like Danielson, like Corey has, and he, as he mentioned, he's higher on him than, than some others are Benson. You know, there are all these different questions Perot, more. I mean, there are guys now that we're, we're getting a lot, it's becoming a lot difficult. So a lot more difficult. So I, for me, you know, I think Leonard is, is very likely to go in there, um, I think that Reinbacher is very likely to go within the top 10, but beyond that, in terms of safe, you know, I, I think the next guy I might put on that list is maybe Dvorsky, but you know, I, I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. You know, like I'd say like that's, but yeah. And, and then at that point we're getting to eight. So it's not like it's a, it's a huge, uh, a huge, uh, you know, leap at that point, you know, to say, but I, I think that there is a lot of differing opinions and a lot as there should be. And as there always, almost always is. In every draft, there's not, you know, the consensus continues to wane and it just becomes where teams fall. And yeah, but I would say that, you know, I, I think those are the guys I'm more consistently hearing are are very high in terms of, you know, their their overall projections. Uh, Corey, Blake Murray wants to know, we can, let's make this a group discussion, actually. From the final four playoff teams, which players in the upcoming draft would you compare with some of the guys lighting it up right now? He's thinking R- Rope Hints. He's thinking Matthew Kachuk. Uh, obviously, we already talked about Jonathan Marchessault and his comp. Uh, any Anybody's jumped to mind. Current playoff stars who, who you'd comp to, to guys in this draft. Yeah, it's hard to think of a Matthew Kachuk comp from this draft. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe not in the comp way like where you think okay this is a below average skating wing with exceptional skill and hockey sense but i think if you're drafting adam fantilli you're hoping he has that kind of an impact for you where he is uh, providing a ton of offense and is just an absolute terror to play against physically for the opposition i think that's kind of what you're hoping with with fantilli and, you know, I think, you know, pie in the sky, you're kind of hoping that that guy like Danielson could develop into somebody like like Rupe Hintz with the skating and the skill and the size down the middle. Anybody for Leo Carlson? He's one of the tougher ones for me. I, I know you've liked ranting in for him in the past, Corey. Yeah, I guess like maybe you're, they're thinking of Stone, I guess, kind of thing, like that kind of impact. But maybe, I don't I we've talked about Stone for Carlson before. I don't like that. I don't like drawing that line there quite either. I don't think it fits as much stones a rare level of, of defensive player. I think, I, I think you can't throw that one around too lightly. I agree. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
All right. Uh, Dan Schrader says, where do you think you need to get better in terms of prospect evaluation? Corey, I think this one's your turn. Uh, I think for me, just because of the way I do my job where, you know, we are not an NHL team, we do not have a, you know, tens and or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to spend on travel and to be in rinks every weekend. A large part of my job is done by video. I go to as many games as I as possibly can. I spend plenty of time on the road, but a large part of my job is is done either by talking to people in the league and by watching a lot of guys on video. And I found with video that I can get a pretty good read on the player's skill. Uh, people in the league will often qualm with me that you can't evaluate skating very well on video. I disagree with that. I have found I can comfortably evaluate skating on video. Doesn't mean you always agree with everybody on skating uh you know or using my assessments on skating but i feel like i i feel comfortable with my skating evaluations on video for me i think is identifying compete via video i have found to be a challenge in my evaluations it's not that i don't think i can't and i think i still can identify things but i have found that the in-person evaluations of compete um provide much more information to me than any other aspect of the game when I see guys live. So I need to find ways just because of how I do my job to get better at identifying those things from afar. Chris, uh, let's go to you with that one. What do you think Corey needs to do better in terms of evaluation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, now I, now I know why we disagree so much on skating. No, I'm just kidding. I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think for, for all of us, it just comes down to one of the things I think Corey and I have both learned in the last, I don't know, probably as we've gotten later in our careers is just, you know, the risks that we're willing to take as writers are not necessarily risks that can happen in real life. Um, we are not going to get, you know, we're not going to lose our jobs. We're not making multi-million dollar decisions. Um, and so self-awareness, I think, is probably one of the most important traits in terms of of, you know, understanding your limitations and, and, and making sure like you're, you're working hard enough. You're, you're, you're seeing enough stuff. Like, you know, in, in my current job, I have to compartmentalize a lot more because I haven't, I have a lot of other responsibilities. So now I have to do the job a lot more, a lot more on video and maybe not traveling as much and doing certain things that, because they're, you know, there's just a number of other things I have to do. So, so understanding, you know, where can I, where can I find ways to work smarter and not necessarily harder? <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, we all, we all still have to work really hard to make this work. It's a, it's a large world out there. I think the other thing that I've is, is that I don't have to have an opinion on every single player. Um, I try to know as many as I possibly can. Uh, but sometimes you just have to pump the brakes and say, you know what? I don't know. Um, and, and so, and, and that's, that's, that's also helpful is, is knowing your limitations that way. But, um, in terms of my own personal, uh, evaluation process, you know, I, I think the one thing that I've probably learned from Corey a bit more is trying to, you know, take as much subjectivity and, you know, recognizing biases, um, as much as you possibly can, like you, you try to make it a little bit more, um, cut and dry and a little bit more black and white as opposed to gray. Um, which is really hard to do because there is so much subjectivity still, but do it, finding more ways to take that out. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, understanding precedents, understanding, um, you know, your own past mistakes and things like that, that really helps in that regard. But, um, yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, we're, none of us are perfect and 
just, there's always, there's always going to be things to learn. I think that precedent piece is, is a big one. I'll, I'll wrap this quick here, but just, you know, as I've gotten to do a little more of this over the last few years, just looking for those, well, what, what have guys like this looked like in the NHL? That has been a real uh, eye opener for me as, as to how to do this. Uh, last one, most important one, John D when buying a two scoop ice cream cone, what flavors do you choose? He says bonus points. If you pick chocolate chip and blue moon, uh, Chris, anybody, Corey, do you have a, a, a gut reaction here? Two scoop cone. What do you choose? I can go first. I'm going chocolate on the bottom and I'm going raspberry sorbet is the top scoop. Chocolate raspberry. Great pairing. Man, I didn't think I was going to have to think this hard today. <sighs> I mean, why not just chocolate and vanilla? I mean, the two most basic things on the on planet Earth. I, I prefer it in a soft serve format, the, the chocolate the vanilla twist. twist. Oh, yeah. unreal. Unbeatable. But in a scoop format... It's really tough, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. I like to put some cookies in there. Whether it's like a cookie and cream vibe or like a cookie dough vibe, I think that's gotta be in there somewhere. I like that. I like that a little texture. All right, we're gonna go get some ice cream, but that's gonna do it for us for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey at his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. Remember to subscribe to New York Times Audio, the iOS app, and right now get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.